1 Corinthians 15. I'll read 1 through 5, and Tammy will read 6 through 11. Okay, here we go. Now I make known to you, brethren, and having three daughters, right? I like to say sister. The gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and which you in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Amen. There somewhere. I just saw him. No, that's last week. Oh, I know what I can do. Okay. I don't have any other way to be. <laughs> okay. Um, so we're going to be talking about the resurrection and 1 Corinthians 15. It's so amazing how this just landed on the Sunday we were doing communion, and there's nothing, this is what communion is all about. It's about the resurrection of Jesus and celebrating with Christ about his resurrection. So I'm pretty excited about that. I look up here and I see the elements, and I just like, oh, Lord, thank you for what you've done for us. Um, and I hear um, of new people coming to faith in Christ and the mission trip and I often get to hear that from college students or people that are in our church and been coming for a while. Somewhere along the way, they become what David described for he and Tammy as believers in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that is the very core and heart and center of everything that we say and do. So 1 Corinthians 15, I cannot... Uh, um, I cannot overemphasize how important this one chapter is, but we're going to look at the first part, which talks about the resurrection of Jesus. Now, that chapter goes on to talk a little bit more about our resurrection, what that will look like, but we can't talk about our re resurrection until we talk about Jesus' resurrection. If Jesus, it says later in the chapter, didn't rise from the dead, then we are fools. And we're certainly not going to rise from the dead if Jesus didn't. So we just begin to see how important that is. Well, let me, let me pray as I begin. Father, we just thank you for your word. 
it is so rich and so powerful and we feel so amazingly blessed just to be able to sit here and uh, hear the Word of God, open it up, talk about it, uh, see if we can make sense of it. And how many people in here would testify that when they became a believer, it began to change, it radically changed their lives. And so I pray that it would have that effect today, God. And Lord, I want to pray for people in this room right now. I pray for people who are really needing uh, a job change or a job at all. I pray for college students who are really seeking their, maybe some are coming to the end of their, their college um, and will graduate either December or next May and they're really seeking your wisdom. Will you guide people um, looking for careers and the next step? as they trust you and try to figure out how to um, follow your will and guidance in life. I pray for any marriage couples here, God, that maybe their marriage hasn't been so great lately. And I just pray for them right now. I pray that you would be at work in the lives of our marriages, God. And I pray for young people who would like to be married and you would lead them and guide them and they're seeking your guidance. Maybe some are even in a serious relationship and they're trying to figure out if if they've met the one that you want them to be with. I also pray, God, for our young people, and I pray that the teenagers in, would really be interested in the Word of God. I just pray you would open the hearts of many teenagers, God, in our community and right here in our church. I pray that you would continue to bless Caleb and his ministry and all those people who volunteer with him. Thank you for them, God. We pray for the children in the back this morning. Lord, it's possible, it's very possible Maybe it happens many Sundays that the children are more stirred in devotion to you than we are. Lord, sometimes they come home more excited about Jesus than we do. And I just pray that we would both be excited. That they would come home and their parents would have something to tell them. Not always the kids saying, hey, look at what we did or we talked about this. How about, Lord, if we are excited, we can't wait to get home to tell our kids what we learned. Would it be, oh God? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, I want to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. And today we're going to talk about some of the, um, maybe some of the things that help us um, give some of the reasons why we believe in the resurrection. It's a really uh, great question. So my, my first heading is um, people have questions about the afterlife. People have questions about the afterlife. Do you find that to be true? you have questions? I had questions before I became a Christian. I have questions now. A lot of people have questions. People go to funerals, they have questions. Well, here's some of the questions. I'm not going to answer all these questions, but here's the way I've heard these questions phrased. And I just sat there and I thought, what a, how do I know that people are real curious in this topic? Well, people ask, is there an afterlife? Is there anything after this life? Another question they ask is, what happens when I die? What does happen? What happens when we die? Where did my loved one go? Sometimes it's because someone, a loved one dies and then people start asking, maybe they don't think a bit about it and then someone they care about dies and says, well, where did my loved one go? Another question is, especially if you're going through middle school and high school and if you're really thinking, the question should pop up. Is evolution, is evolution true? And do I just break down into matter and particles? Is it true and I'm just like 
evaporate into the cosmos? No meaning, no, no real purpose beyond my last heart beats? Is there any science or research to help me understand this question about the afterlife? Is anyone doing research? Is there, like, where can I go for information is kind of a question. Like, is there an afterlife? What do the scientists say? What do psychologists say? What do philosophers say? Um, is there anyone come back from the dead? Has anyone come back from the dead? And um, what did they say? Well, how do we know that they did? What do I make of stories about people seeing the light and visiting heaven? You know, there's lots of stories. There's books, movies. People say, I saw this bright light, and I was fading and moving toward this, and then I came back, or um, Christian books about, well, I went to heaven for 48 hours or um, five minutes. Really? Is that? I'm interested. What, what is that about? And another question people ask is, why do I yearn for something beyond this life? What is it inside me? Where did that come from? Where's this yearning? It's like we have this desire. The Bible says that God puts eternity in our hearts. Like, why, why do we think about it? Why do we even ask these questions? Like, where does that come from? I'm pretty sure my dog doesn't. Um, I do. We do. Um, another question is, why do religions all over the world have some concept of an afterlife? There's like all kinds of different theories religious views like if you're Hindu you have one version if you're Jehovah's Witness if you're Mormon you have this picture of an afterlife if you're um, pagan and if you're you know Viking Norseman and you have some view of the afterlife all these different everyone has some view why does why does everyone have a view why did like why do all these religions even where does that come from that people from different countries and lands who don't even know each other all trying to answer this question um, why are so many people uncomfortable talking about death it's like well if death is just a part of life then why are so many people like oh, I don't really want to go there I don't really talk about it. some people are like I do not want to go to a funeral I don't want to see a dead person don't want to think about it terrified and it's like well why if, if it's just what is what is it in us that makes us think about this is kind of big and important and Maybe even uncomfortable if I don't like the answers. How about this one? When I die, will it matter that I lived? It's like, well, if we just die and roll over, and it's like, well, I had a good run, but when you're gone, it's nothing. It's nothing. That's it. Why, why will it matter? Another question people ask, is Judgment Day a real thing? Or is there no ultimate justice for evil in the world? It's like, is there a judgment? If not, then why do we judge people here? Like, why do we have police if there's no ultimate policeman? Why do we have judges on earth to punish penalty, punish people for committing crimes if there's no final justice? Like, the very fact that we long for justice in this world, where does that come from? Or are we like saying, no, no, if you get away with murder, if you can just live through this life and get away with it, then you're good because there's no penalty after that. Um... Do I even need to think about what happens since nobody knows for sure? Like, eh, why bother? Just live. It's a lot of people's philosophy. Just live. Um, one last question. Is life insurance just a scam to make me feel better about myself before I evaporate? <laughs> it's like there's a lot of industry around the topic of death. Is it just a waste of time? It's like, why do I care what happens to my family? Because I'll be gone. I won't be able to care. 
at the point that it might matter, I won't care if it matters because I won't exist. It's a lot of questions. A lot of people are interested. Um, I watched a movie and I recently rewatched it because I thought about it with this topic coming up. And there's a, a movie in 2010, an 80-year-old Clint Eastwood directed a film called Hereafter. And the movie is about three different people who are trying to figure out if there's an afterlife. And they each find that their lives are unraveling until they can get some kind of understanding about life after death. It's like something's going on in their lives and they're trying to figure out, well, what is it um, for one of them, someone close died. For another one, that person almost died. Another person had this psychic ability to talk to the dead. And so they're all trying to figure out, three main characters are trying to figure out, they're like so frustrated with life because they have questions about afterlife that they can't even live their life uh, very successfully or happily, happily. So eventually their paths converge and they all help each other to make enough sense out of death to continue with life. And so it's obvious, obvious to me and anyone who thinks about movies and someone in every movie, someone has a message there. A movie is a message. There's the author, the director, the writer is trying to send a message. And as best as I can tell that Clint Eastwood, who was the director, is himself thinking about the afterlife because he's getting closer. He's 92 now, but 10, 12 years ago, he was thinking about the afterlife. Well, what's going to happen when I die? And I think this movie is part of his trying to answer this question. And so in the movie, it ends with a very uplifting feeling. You come to the end of the movie, it's like, oh, good, everyone found peace. The little boy found peace. The, the lady who almost died found peace. The man who talks to the dead found peace. And so it's like this happy little ending at the end of the movie. But the sad reality is that the movie only suggests that there is an afterlife. It doesn't really say anything about it. It just says, well, we need to know, is there an afterlife? And the answer to the movie is, yeah. Yeah. Where is it? Well, I don't know. How do you get there? Don't know. What do you do when you get there? No clue. But don't you feel good there's an afterlife? And it's like, you know, Clint Eastwood was trying, but he doesn't really have very good answers. The implication is that everybody dies... And it appears that everybody gets to go to the good place. And the message of the movie is, don't worry, there is life after death. And we all get to go there. No one knows how or where. Just be happy. It all works out. That's kind of the feeling you get at the end of the movie. Don't, we, we, we've studied it. We've looked into it. And it, it all works out. Well, to me, that's a very unsatisfactory answer. And the question about life after death, the Bible has a much bigger and better answer. Don't you agree? Man, aren't you glad? Would you like it if you came to the end of your movie, the end of your life, and it's like, well, I'm pretty sure we're going somewhere. And everybody's going, and it seems like it's better than here. And then they just fade into whatever's out there. Well, the second point I want to make this morning is that the Christian answer is built upon the resurrection of Jesus. The world doesn't really have an answer. It's not built on anything. They're trying. They're stabbing at it. They feel it. They know it's, they know it's out there. But the Christian answer is built upon the resurrection of Jesus. 
And chapter 15 is an entire chapter about the resurrection. It is about the resurrection of Jesus and about the resurrection of believers. But chapter 15 has the answers to all the above questions I raised. Verse 1 to 11 begins with the resurrection of Jesus as the foundation and basis of other resurrection possibilities. Like there are no possibilities of resurrection if we can't prove that someone is actually resurrected from the dead. We're having all these discussions. We're like, has anybody ever come back from the dead? That would be the question. And that's what the Bible answers and says, absolutely. Not temporarily, not a resuscitation. Has anyone come back from the dead and defeated death? That's the real question because there are stories and even Jesus healed some people and raised. Jesus raised Lazarus, but guess what happened to Lazarus after Lazarus rose from the dead? He died. Lazarus was not victorious because he, Jesus brought him back to life. Jesus defeated death for eternal life. Jesus brought Lazarus back for uh, temporal life. Jesus was the first to overcome death to eternal life. This is a big difference when people say, well, people, according to the Bible, Jesus wasn't the first one to rise from the dead. He was the first one to defeat death. Absolutely. And so the gospel which Paul preached and the apostles preached is built upon the following facts in 1 Corinthians 15. Number one, Christ died for our sins. Isaiah 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Let me tell you about Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah of God and he died for our sins. That in itself ought to get your attention. The good news is that Christ died for our sins. Another really important point, number two, is that it was according to the Scripture. He died for our sins according to the Scripture. In Luke 24, verse 27, it says, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted in them in all Scripture the things about Himself. So Jesus says the Bible is all about me. Jesus wasn't being an egomaniac. Jesus was actually being truthful and reporting the facts. The Bible is about me because... It's my story and my message to save you. You need the Bible, the message to be about Jesus because if it's about anybody else, then it's not focused on the right one. But the message of the Bible is that Christ died for our sins and God sent His Son and that is the story according to the Scripture. The Scriptures were compounding Uh, adding up brick upon brick. The first shadowy figure was sin has entered the world. It's horrible. We've all been kicked out of the Garden of Eden. But God says, but I'm going to send someone through one of you two sinners, through Eve, through the lineage of Eve and Adam is going to come someone one day called Messiah. He'll be the Christ, the one anointed or sent by God. So the Messiah, the sent one, will come one day and deliver you. So the whole Old Testament was adding brick upon brick, scripture upon scripture, clarity upon clarity, went from very, very vague in Genesis 3.15 to very, very clear in Isaiah 53, very, very clear in the sacrifices and the blood atonement. Someone's going to have to give their blood and it's going to have to be a perfect sacrifice and it's going to be someone called the Lamb of God and it's going to be someone called Emmanuel who is God and it's going to be a suffering servant, not a reigning king at first and it's going to be Jesus. According to the Scriptures, Christ died for our sins. We didn't make this up. It's according to the Word of God. The record is there hundreds, thousands, couple of thousand years before Jesus actually came. It began to be known and promoted that someone's going to come and save us. And God says, trust in the one who will come and you'll be saved. And we get to trust in the one who came and we can be saved. 
Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. If you study the Scriptures, this is the central theme of the Bible. And he was buried. He wasn't buried alive. He was buried dead. He didn't faint and get back up later. He didn't get woozy for three days. He didn't get wounded and then he healed for three days in the tomb. He died for our sins and he was buried. He was buried. In Matthew 27, verse 57, when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, also was a disciple and Jesus was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen shroud, and he laid it in his own new tomb, which he had put cut in the rock, and he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. He died. He was buried. But praise be to God. He was raised on the third day. If he was buried, folks, we wouldn't know who he was. If he was buried and that was it, if he was buried like everyone else would have been buried, we wouldn't know Jesus. As good a life as Jesus lived, we would not know Jesus. If he had just said, he died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and he was buried you and I would have nothing to sing about. But he was buried and he was raised on the third day. Mark 16, 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us to the entrance of the tomb? Like we want to go and see his where they lay him, his dead body, his carcass. On looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back and it was very large. And entering the tomb, he saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. They saw an angel and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled the tomb from trembling and astonishment and seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. He was buried, and he rose. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried... And three days later, he rose, according to the Scriptures. It's interesting, the author wants us to know that this is very scriptural. And he said up, up top, according to the Scriptures, now he wants to say again, according to the Scriptures, he rose from the dead in three days. Matthew chapter 16, 21 says, From the time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, scribes, be killed and on the third day be raised. That was the first time he said it. Peter said, Lord... Far be it from you. It's like, I don't want you to go to, to Jerusalem and be crucified. He says, well, if you really understood what you're saying is you don't want me to go and be crucified, then you must not want me to be resurrected and you'll never rise from the dead. Like Peter had no idea the horror of what he was suggesting that Jesus not go die for us. Because if Jesus doesn't go die for us, Jesus cannot rise for us. 
And it's like he told them the first time. Then the second time in Matthew 17, Matthew 16, Matthew 17, they were gathering in Galilee. Jesus said to them, Son of man is about to be delivered into the, hand, into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third dead. They were greatly distressed. They're distressed. They should have been the happiest people in the world. Like he's going to go, but he's going to rise. All they heard was he's going to die. Somehow, the idea that he might rise, they might, they might be thinking, oh, yeah, figuratively, uh, spiritually, somehow in the afterlife kind of thing. He's like, no, no, I'll die and then you'll see me. That's what he was saying to them. They were distressed because he was going to die. In Matthew 20, he says the third time, three times, Jesus is like, you know, the parent with a little kid. Are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? It's like Jesus, the spiritual parents, like, are you guys hearing me? Do you hear what I'm saying? What did I just say? I don't know. That's what they're doing. Jesus heard the same thing you parents hear. And it says Jesus was getting up Jerusalem, going up to Jerusalem. He took the 12 disciples aside when they said to him, See, we are going up Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. The sixth thing, he appeared to Cephas, Peter. Luke 24, 34, the disciples from Emmaus came back from their walk. So these disciples had seen the risen Jesus and they came back and said, Hey, Jesus is alive and the Lord is risen and he's appeared to Peter, to Simon. So ask Simon, we're not making this up. Number seven, then he appeared to the twelve. He appeared to the twelve next. Afterwards, he appeared to the 11 disciples. They were called the 12. They were missing one because one had um, forsaken them and betrayed. But afterwards, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at the table. He rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So he appeared to the 12. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at once. It says that this is the only place we have this record, but this is the record. Jesus appeared at one time to 500 people. Can 500 people at one time be simultaneously delusional? It's like, I don't think so. That is the most, that's actually a greater miracle than seeing Jesus. That 500 people had the same delusion at this exact same moment and walked away willing to swear on their life that they had just seen and encountered Jesus Christ. That would actually be a phenomenal miracle itself. But the reason it, that wasn't, that part wasn't miraculous. The miracle was that Jesus did rise from the dead and 500 people were living testimonies to that fact. You couldn't say, well, you 12 got together and worked up this thing. You concocted this little plan and we don't believe you because you're his disciples. He says, no, no, 500 people saw him. Many of them, Paul was writing to the Corinthians, many of them are still alive. It was probably 20 plus years, at least 20-ish years after Jesus rose from the dead that Paul's in Corinth writing to the Corinthians. And he says, hey, 500 people saw him, Corinthians. 500 people where I came from in Jerusalem saw Jesus rise from the dead. On one occasion they saw him after the resurrection. Many of them are still alive. So if you guys want to, you can get in a boat or ride a few donkeys and camels and go back to Jerusalem and you can go interview some of those people if you want. And that's exactly what the, the book of Luke is. Luke did that very thing. 
Okay, and then he says, um, last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared to me. He's like, man, the women saw him. Peter saw him. James saw him. 500 people saw him. He's got all these appearances. He met with disciples for days. And then by the grace of God, I got to see him. Paul's, Paul's saying, yes, I'm not giving you merely secondhand report. I am giving you some secondhand reports. I believe the people who testified to seeing Jesus. But I'm here to tell you, I saw Jesus. I saw him too. It's like, what an honor. What a privilege. That, think about this. Paul is really the only messenger, as far as I know, maybe not. We're not exactly sure where, where all Peter went. But Paul is the most traveled witness. Every, think about this. This is so cool. Paul planted churches all over the Mediterranean. And he was the one traveling evangelist who was a personal eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus. So his message, it's, no, it's a beautiful thing for him to be the missionary to the Gentiles. And he could say, hey guys, I know you've heard this story, but I want to tell you, I myself, I'm standing here, it's a living testimony. You have to discredit me or actually believe what I have to say. If you can't discredit me, then I'm standing here before you telling you that I saw Jesus after the resurrection. And he says he appeared unto me as one untimely born. I think untimely born means, you know, the other 12, like they all saw Jesus. And then it was a little bit later that I had the privilege of seeing him. And he tells his story in Acts chapter 9. That he was on the road to Damascus to actually kill witnesses of Jesus when he became a witness of Jesus. He was trying to kill the people who were claiming they had seen Jesus rise from the dead because he thought, they've made this thing up and I need to squelch this thing. It's lies. And then he saw Jesus and he became a more powerful advocate maybe than all 12 of them put together because he was so radically changed. And then he says, I'm the least of the apostles. He's like, I've been given this role, but I'm really not worthy of the role because I persecuted the church. Like I made it my mission in life for a short period to terminate Christianity. And then I was converted and I made it my mission in life to spread Christianity. I wanted to stamp it out. Now I want to light it on fire. What a work of God. What a testimony. That the turnaround in Paul's life. The fact that we're reading about the testimony and resurrection of Jesus by one who was trying to stamp out Christianity. The, the most prolific New Testament writer in the Bible is one of the most powerful testimonies to the resurrection. Okay, so now I just want to close by asking what's your response to this. What, it, what, it, what are you going to do about it? Um, everyone's interested in the question about the resurrection. These are interesting questions to everyone. The Bible is making the claim that Jesus rose from the dead. And now it's pressing your conscience to say, so what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do? I'm kind of asking, what, are, what, are you, what have you done about that? What are you going to do? 
There are people in this room, I think a large percentage of the people in this room have said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do about that. What I did about it is I gave my life to Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. I heard this information, came to believe it in my heart, and committed my life, this life and the life to come, into the care of the risen Savior. I believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So there's three responses, three questions I want to pose to you now. The first question, they're they're all moving towards... um, You need to answer positively to all three. That would be the great outcome of this sermon. If you can answer positively to these three questions, then I am so excited. If you're just getting to the first question, then I'm excited that you're here. I'm so excited that you're here because I want want you to think about this. I want you to hear the story that I just read to you from the Word of God. And the Bible says the Word of God will not return void. So if it returns void, it ain't the Word of God's fault. As a matter of fact, it won't be void because the worst thing that will happen to you is you reject it, but you're still accountable. Everyone in this room is accountable for what you've just heard. And I've declared to you in the presence of God and in, in your presence that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. So now you're, you have a response. The first response, going to go one step at a time. I'm going to take you one step at a time to what your response is. I'm hoping will be. Number one, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you like, that's true. Yes, that's true. That's just the first step. That's not the final step. That's the first step. Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? In Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says it like this. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Did you hear that? If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. You will be saved, everlastingly saved. You won't just be resuscitated so that you'll go on and die later. You'll live everlasting life. And not in some vague hereafter in the most wonderful place, in the presence of the most wonderful being you've ever seen and experienced in your entire existence. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So the first question is, do you believe in the resurrection? I'm just kind of wondering. Some people, uh, you may be here and you may be going, I- I'm, not, I'm still not sure. That's fine. I want you to understand where you are and the question I want to continue to press upon you, do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Question number two, which follows from one, do you receive the risen Lord as your Savior and King? Information's there. Have you ever taken the next step? It's like, I believe that is true. That's not enough. We're not there yet. Step number two, do you receive the Lord as your Savior and King? In John 1, 12, it says, But all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood nor of the will of flesh, but born of God. Would you like to be born of God today? Information, I understand it. Receive Jesus. And then lastly, are you holding fast 
and continuing to stand with Jesus. Because that's what the, the, the chapter opens up by saying, hey, here's the things I want to talk to you about unless you believed in vain. It's like unless you just had knowledge. But he says you, he's, he was praising God because you received it and you're standing on it. So I want to ask you, are you holding fast? That's what communion's about. That's what it's for. That's what it's a reminder of. It's like, hey, am I continuing to stand with Christ? In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. He's writing, this is interesting, this is to that same, those same Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, the same group of people he wrote, 1 Corinthians. And he's saying, hey, examine yourselves. People here, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. And so, here's what I want you to do as we come to communion now. Um, if you're interested in the afterlife and you've heard the message that Jesus is Lord and risen from the dead, then there's two responses for you. Number one, if you've never believed in Him, then believe in Him today. And just say, Lord, I, I confess you as Lord, and I believe that you have risen from the dead. And then the last thing that I want every Christian to do is to continue to stand with Him. And that means, Lord, I just want to, I want to, Maybe I haven't been standing so well lately. Maybe I've been a bit wobbly. I just want to reaffirm my faith today, Lord. I want to come to this table. And when I grab hold of this little, um, the, the juice, and when I take the bread, it just reminds me of what you did for me. And I just want to renew today. I want to renew my resolve, my love for you and my resolve. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this glorious day. Thank you for your love to us and thank you that Jesus, that you died to save us from our sins and you were buried and you rose on the third day. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.